0: ID fraud reached a new low in 2014, the first decrease reported by Javelin Strategy and Research in its annual consumer ID fraud survey since before 2010. But does that decrease have more to do with wiser consumer buying and banking behavior or more to do with heightened security on the back end? Here, Al Pasquale, senior analyst for fraud and security at Javelin, explains what the results mean and how we can expect to see ID fraud and the trends evolve over the next year. Hi, I'm Tracy Kitten with Information Security Media Group. So Al, before we get into some of the details of this study that was just released, can you tell us how long Javelin has been doing this survey and study?
1: Well, actually, Javelin first worked on this study with the Federal Trade Commission back in 2003, so this has been ongoing more than a decade at this point.
0: And so, as I mentioned in the introduction, Al, this study is focused on ID fraud, not ID theft. And Javelin has been very careful in the past to differentiate ID fraud from ID theft. Can you explain why?
1: Again, it has a lot to do with the legacy. That term, identity fraud, is something of a carryover from our original work with the Federal Trade Commission. So this is very much focused, uh, has a bit more background, on fraud related to the theft and compromise of personally identifiable information. So a lot of depth when it comes to things like you know, various financial frauds, and you'll find that throughout the report.
0: Now, your research is based on responses from about 5,000 U.S. consumers who were pulled back in October, so the data that you have is relatively recent. Were there points, Al, that stood out to you about how breaches impact consumer buying habits or how fraud impacts online banking usage?
1: Yeah, I think what we've seen over the past year is that uh, that relationship between data breaches and fraud in the minds of consumers has changed considerably. You know, if you go back to 2007 with TJ Maxx, consumers didn't care, right? I mean, after the breach, TJ Maxx, I think, had their best quarter ever. Whereas today, when we look at these fraud victims and we ask them, you know, what do you do that's different because you were a victim of fraud? Those fraud victims who say, I stopped shopping at certain merchants, twice as many of them are saying, I stopped shopping at large retailers, right? Um, it's because they have this mindset now that for businesses not doing a good job of protecting their data then they're going to go elsewhere because it places them at risk. That's so different from where we were back in 2007, 2006. So it really showed itself in this year's study.
0: Good points, Al. Let's delve into that a little bit more deeply. So based on the numbers, 10% of consumers impacted by fraud in 2014 opted out of online banking, triple the number who a year earlier said that they decided to stop banking online in the wake of a fraud event. And 28% in 2014 said they stopped shopping at breached retailers, as you've noted, after their cards experienced fraudulent transactions. So would you say that consumers are just getting savvier about fraud prevention?
1: Um, yes and no, right? So that twenty eight percent, those are gonna be consumers who avoided certain merchants, whether they were breached or not. You know, when you dive into that twenty eight percent, then that relationship between breach and fraud really plays out. Because within that twenty-eight percent, twice as many as last year are saying, I'm avoiding those large retailers, right? So those large retailers who have really bad public images right now because of all of the breaches that occurred over the past year, that's telling you that consumers are starting to get it, right? They're starting to understand that you know a breach leads to fraud. But that being said, you know when you have more than three times as many fraud victims saying, "I'm going to stop banking online because of fraud." I don't know if that's directly related to them being savvy, because banking online gives consumers the opportunity to detect fraud more quickly. It keeps you know things like paper statements out of the mail. It has a lot of advantages when it comes to mitigating fraud, and I think some of the things that have been played up over the past year. So. Uh, issues like Heartbleed, for example, right, these kind of online threats, banking malware might have tainted consumers' perception of online banking, but I don't know if it's a plus that they stopped doing it. In fact, it, it might actually hurt them in the long run. So, uh, maybe a little more education is needed there, but they're starting to act on, you know, what they perceive to be fraud risk, especially digital fraud risk. So, I think that's a positive, right? So they're taking it seriously.
0: So Al, what do you think banking institutions should be doing then to address some of that consumer education that might be needed?
1: Making security education a key part of you know, a bank's website is something we've been supporting for years. It should be upfront, right on the homepage. You know, there's a, a great example, Bank of the West, right? So they have on their mobile app, um, kind of like a, a fraud video that you could click It seems to load up the app. I mean, it's good practice it reinforces the security brand of the organization and it helps keep consumers updated on recent trends. So you, know, you should be having active conversations. You know, if you're a banker, you know, with your customers, whether that be, you know, retail banking, your know, consumers, you know, high net worth, or even, you know, S and b commercial. Now's the time because folks have concerns, and they may not be reacting in the right way.
0: So, Al, let's talk a little bit about financial services in particular. I don't want to make it sound like it was all doom and gloom because there were some positive points that came out in your study about breach and fraud on the financial services front. So the total number of identity fraud victims in the U.S. actually decreased 3% from 2013 to 2014, with 13.1 million consumers reportedly being victimized by ID fraud in 2013 versus 12.7 million in 2014. To what do you attribute this decrease? Is it something that banking institutions are doing, or is it just something across the board that's helping to prevent ID fraud?
1: Anytime we see a decline um, in the total number of victims, the total amount of fraud losses, you know, we like to think of that as a huge positive But that being said, um, I definitely want everyone to kind of temper their perception a bit. The reason we're saying that is you have to consider the extraordinary response over the past year to things like data breaches. To give you an example, we had the target breach. And according to the ABA, up to 95% of debit and credit cards affected by the breach were replaced. That's an immensely extraordinary response. You know, we've never seen that before. So we're replacing cards hand over fist, tightening controls like nobody's business, and uh, you know, consumers are being provided things like identity protection for every breach that occurs because state's attorneys general are coming out of the woodwork saying you have to do it. So we're doing all these things to protect the consumer, to protect the accounts, and the most we managed was a 3% decline in the number of fraud victims. And that's not sustainable over the long term. It's not efficient, it's unnecessarily costly, and it's, it's just not getting the financial industry uh, the return on investment you know, that they should be getting for that kind of effort. So yes, there was a decline. You know, there's a lot of things that were done to get us there, but it, we could have done better than that.
0: So I want to talk a little bit about what the message is here for banking institutions. Then Al, what should they be doing more of to help increase this from 3% to something higher? But first, let me ask you, is this the first time that Javelin has reported a decrease in ID fraud?
1: <laughs> it's not the first decline that we've seen. Actually, can go ahead and pull up some of the numbers here let's see, back in 2009, we had 13.9 million victims. Then In 2010, we saw a significant decline to 10.2 million. So that's a drop of nearly 4 million individuals. Since then, though, fraud's been on the upswing. So this is the most recent decline that we've seen. But, you know, it has happened in the past. So there is some precedent.
0: So then what would you say is the message for banking institutions or other financial services providers?
1: You know, I think the message is, yes, a lot was done. That helped turn the tide. But, you know, that being said, number one, it was a lot and it was very costly. Now, the type of fraud that's most prevalent is going to be uh, what we call existing card fraud. So things like counterfeit, lost, stolen, you know, that's incredibly prevalent right now. Criminals are trying to use card data hand over fist before B goes into place. My message, you know, would be certainly the industry wants to try to find ways to more effectively prevent card fraud. But new account fraud, which hit a record low this year, is going to trend up significantly. I mean, we saw that in the UK after they rolled out EMV. We're going to see that here. Um, so financial institutions need to be prepared, to do a better job of vetting new customers, because that's where criminals are going to be going over the next few years. So yes, there are certain things that they should be doing for card fraud, but a lot of that is going to go away. They should be taking advantage of this time right now to prepare for what's going to be you know an upswing in new account fraud, which is extremely expensive for financial institutions um, and extremely costly to consumers as well. So there's some opportunities here, not only for you know the fraud that's prevalent today, but what's coming down the road.
0: So Al, let's talk a little bit about new account fraud. What actually constitutes new account fraud?
1: New account fraud simply when you know a fraudster goes out and establishes a, a new account using consumers' financial information or their PII. So it could be uh, you know, anything from a new credit card to a new mortgage, a new auto loan, a new DBA account or savings account. It covers a pretty wide swath. This year, though, we saw new account fraud fall to, I think, 0.29%, lowest that we've seen on record And again, it's because criminals just have so many other options. Now, when they don't have as many options, you know, then you could expect all these types of new account fraud to really see a nice upswing.
0: So let's delve a little bit more deeply into some of the statistics that you had about new account fraud. It was interesting that while new account fraud declined, you noted in the report that it typically took victims a year or more to discover that their identities had been misused for fraudulent purposes. Is that an increase over previous years? Is it taking consumers longer to detect these things?
1: New account fraud has always taken quite a long time to resolve. What we wanted to do is highlight the fact that yes, new account fraud is down. But for those victims who suffer new account fraud, there are significant consequences, and there are also significant consequences for the affected financial institution just because it takes so long to detect. So it's a bit of a cautionary tale, especially when you consider that new account fraud is going to be trending up over the next three years. So the finding as far as the length of detection pretty consistent. But that being said, there are some things that uh, financial institutions, some things that consumers can do to mitigate that. Uh, you know, when a criminal goes out and they establish a fraudulent account, they're not going to typically you know, set up a fraudulent account at the same institution where the legitimate consumer you know, has an existing relationship. Right? So for you know that financial institution, that credit card issue or that lender, it's very difficult for them to communicate, you know, with the actual owner of that, you know, PII. So consumers need to take advantage of things beyond credit monitoring. Right? They need to take advantage of you know solutions that will notify them of fraudulent new accounts that are open, that are checking accounts or savings accounts or payday loans. You know, right now I think that, again there's that heavy focus on using things like credit monitoring, which are really focused on you know detecting new lines of credit and that's only kind of part of the new account fraud world. You know, that being said, financial institutions also need to participate in programs and solutions that share information, that get that information back to potential victims. You know, financial institutions need to be out there looking for data that have been compromised in a breach. I mean, there are services that a financial institution can sign up for that actually you know, search the dark web for data that's for sale. Right? So if a financial institution sees this data being used, To open a new account, that's a big red flag. You know, if they're going to be instituting these changes, now's the time to do it before it becomes such a huge issue that you're responding to it rather than preempting it because the cost can be just so much higher.
0: So, Al, what about other industries? We've talked about financial services and banking institutions specifically and what they should be doing to help curb some of this ID fraud. But is there anything that healthcare should be doing or government to help play a role here?
1: Absolutely. I mean, you consider that new account fraud is going to trend up. Right. And we just saw a breach of 80 million social security numbers. You know, you put those two and two together and, you know, what you realize is that criminals have everything that they need to go ahead and establish these new fraudulent accounts and the healthcare industry you know, uh, education has always been a perennial favorite for data breaches. You know, these industries that have this personal information, especially the sensitive information, like social security numbers, need to do a better job in securing that information. The data needs to be encrypted. You know, their security needs to be up to snuff. Whether or not that's going to take national legislation, you know, I don't know. I, I think maybe Anthem has kind of opened some eyes, you know, within healthcare, despite high tech. But the fact of the matter is, they're target's now, and they're going to be even bigger targets over the next few years as criminals want to go out and establish these new fraudulent accounts. So industries, those organizations, need to step up their data security game because they're going to be contributing to fraud in a big way if they don't, and they could potentially become liable for this issue.
0: So you mentioned education. Now let's talk a moment about education. An interesting point that was noted in this year's study is that students, college students, seem to be among the least concerned about ID fraud, yet they're often the most impacted by ID fraud is this because of poor shopping and security practices among young adults or because universities are less likely to secure sensitive data and information about their students
1: you know when you look at the types of fraud that students experience you can start to see what's driving this so as an example they are more than four times as likely to suffer familiar fraud and that's fraud committed by someone who knows them personally so that means dorm mates or or roommates or other fast friends the uh, college student you know, typically, it's not going to do a good job of securing physical personal information, right? So, their their checks or their social security card, which they carry in their wallet, other information that can be used to commit fraud. You know, they may you know leave their phone around the house or around the dorm, and you know not take steps to secure it, like locking it, you know, with Touch ID or you know installing remote wipe. So, you know, all these things that they should be doing to more closely mind their personal information in a physical sense. They're not doing that. They may be more savvy online than older consumers, right, as an example, um, but they're not protecting themselves from you know, the folks nearest to them, and they're paying the price, right? because not only are they suffering fraud, but they are significantly more likely to be notified by a debt collector or, or when they're turned down for credit than you know, all consumers. And, you know, for a student who has just started their financial life, having things go to a debt collector, right, being turned down for credit can be especially impactful and can really limit their financial options going forward. So you're doing a better job in physically protecting their identity information, protecting their devices um, is critical, right, because it can have severe implications.
0: So Al, we've talked about other industries having an interest in reducing the occurrence of ID fraud. But would you say that banking institutions and retailers seem to be the most impacted by fraudulent events, and thus often are more outspoken about steps they're taking to protect consumers' identities?
1: Absolutely. I mean, the bulk of losses related to identity fraud are going to be incurred by the, by financial institutions, issuers, you know, others in the financial service sphere, or merchants. It's just been true, you know, since we ever since we started the study. You know, we do some separate work with LexisNexis. We've seen just how much, uh, in the way of costs, they absorb. And uh, that's not going to go away anytime soon. Unfortunately, it puts both these industries at odds over the issue of chargebacks, you know, over the issue of EMV, for example. Right when they're attempting to uh, remediate fraudulent events, you know, you would think that they have so much in common or they have shared interests, you know, in preventing fraud. But the way the system is set up, someone has to eat this loss, and uh, you know what that means is you know, there's just going to be a lot of uh, you know fighting and finger pointing. Now, if you have your medical industry, you know, spewing this data hand over fist in merchants you know, are no longer being compromised at the point of sale, then I think bankers may, you know, turn their animus, you know, elsewhere and focus on, you know, those healthcare providers and insurers instead. Um, so we could see some of that, but just the relationship, you know, the payment relationship, chargebacks, these other issues, they are just really contributing to the fighting that we're seeing. And, you know, when you consider all of that, it, it makes sense.
0: And so then, Al, before we close, do you have any final thoughts to share with our audience about what you think we might see more of in 2015?
1: You know, I think in 2015, we're gonna see um, some more of the same. So you know, we expect um, card fraud to be a significant issue, just because even with the EMV rollout, that's going to take time. We don't expect full penetration until 2018. It's gonna be staggered, certainly, with you know, tier one, tier two merchants you know, going first, moving down through the you know unattended terminals, ATMs, gas stations. So there's still gonna be plenty of opportunities for criminals to steal the data and misuse the data, so that's gonna stay strong. I think we may start to see new account fraud trend up, but it will be relatively light. You know, lending uh, accounts for new account fraud were a big target this year. They'll still be a big target you know, simply because the economy is doing better, consumers' credit capacity is higher, which means that these high-dollar frauds Will probably continue because there's plenty of targets out there. I think consumers may be better protected, so I, I think that losses related to fraud for consumers, or so that out-of-pocket cost, you know, will probably decline. And ultimately, I'm hoping that uh, the financial industry will act on installing better identity verification products stronger authentication, and, you know, that'll be a good hedge against fraud on existing checking um, and savings accounts, on existing, you know, credit card accounts, but, you know, we'll wait and see. I've seen a good reduction within our research on the proportion of, you know, financial institutions that still allow consumers to authenticate themselves with Social Security numbers, for example, right? So we're down to, I think, 66% of the top 50 that still allow that practice. You know, as long as that keeps trending downward, there is a really good opportunity for us to see a decline in, you know, fraud on existing accounts. But there's just so much data floating out there. I would love to say that it's a positive, or that it's certain, but it's just it's hard. They're doing such a good job of stealing the information. It seems like we're all scrambling to catch up. I think certain things are going to continue, but you know, that new account fraud piece. Um, is really where we need to be wary and uh, preparing ourselves.
0: Good point, Sal. We never can be completely secure, right? There's always a new way that fraudsters are figuring out how to get in. Absolutely. Al, I'd like to thank you again for your time today. Very informative. Anytime, Tracy. Again, we've just heard from Al Pasqual of Javelin. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tracy Kitten.